everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire. And all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up, and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. I am beyond excited to have Chef Jacques Pepin joining us today on Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. Um, Jacques has been, uh, unbeknownst to him, started as a mentor to me as a young cook um, at culinary school and has since become a very good friend and someone I still feel comfortable to make a phone call and ask for help when I need it. <laughs> so Jacques, thank you for taking time out of your Saturday to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Well, you're quite welcome. I mean, Rory is here, including uh, is here. So We're all are, here. The whole are... gang. So we have the whole Jacques Pepin Foundation team right. here. So we have Raleigh and Claudine, and and um, which is great. So why don't actually we start off with what is the Jacques Pepin Foundation, and what is it that were you were working towards with that? Okay. Well, Rory, with. Uh, the chairman, including with the president, <laughs> will answer all of that. <laughs> well, thank you for asking. I really appreciate that. The Jacques Pepin Foundation is dedicated to improving lives and strengthening communities through culinary education. So we believe pretty strongly that culinary skills are fundamental, and we want many people to know how to cook. But particularly, we want to help people who want to work in food service get the skills that they need to at least get entry-level positions and hopefully move up. As you know, there's uh, a huge uh, labor shortage in food service. There's a million, literally one million vacancies in food service right now. And we support a network of community kitchens around the country that provide free life skills and culinary training to adults with barriers employment. So people can take a 12-week program, get a serve safer certificate, learn some fundamental skills, and then get a job in food service. So it's really a win-win-win. Yes. That's excellent. I agree with that. Well said, well said. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, so Jacques, when you started, right, culinarily, I think that there's definitely a, a difference between when you started, when I started, and now when the next, this, this younger generation starting. I think it's really important for people to understand what you put into it from day one to get where you are now. You worked very hard as a young man um, to learn the trade. And I would yeah. really love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, you know, I'm turning 88 uh, next week. So I'm talking about, I was in apprenticeship in 1949. So that's a long time. Life was certainly much easier. My father was a cabinet maker. My mother had a little restaurant. She was a cook. So life, we didn't have television, we didn't have the telephone even stuff. So life was easy. I was going to be a cabinet maker or a cook. So uh, probably much easier to choose than the kid now. And uh, But to a certain extent, I don't think I ever saw a recipe until 10, 12 years later when I came to America. Because you get into apprenticeship or after when I work in Paris, if you work somewhere, you conform. You work in that particular place, so you do what they do there exactly. You duplicate the dish so that no one knows who has done it. Like at the Plaza Athene in Paris, we were 48 chefs, and we had like the, the lobster souffle was very famous. 
I'm sure that 48 of us could have done it. You would not have known who had done it. My point is that at that time, there was probably less pressure on the chef. You didn't want to be famous. You didn't want to improve. You didn't want to create. That did not exist. You just conform where it was. At the Plaza Atene, we cut the tomato one way. I would never have turned it to cut it the other way. Someone at that said, say, why would you do that? So uh, now there is so much more pressure with young chef because uh, uh, at that time, the cook was really at the bottom of the social scale. You know, a good any good mother would have wanted their child to marry a lawyer, a doctor, no, not not a cook. <laughs> so, so now all of a sudden, the kid look at television and they want to be Bobby Flay in in six weeks or whatever because of television. So it's great for us. You know, we we came up in the world and uh, it's much better, I think. But on the other hand, it, it gives sometimes a a wrong impression of what the business is because the business is still working Saturday, Sunday, 12 hours a day and not really making that much money. So unless you love it, uh, don't do it. You know, Unless you love it, don't do it to become famous. It probably won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when you came to the United States, what was it that made you come to the US? Was it a job that you had set up? Was it just an, a chance to see something different? What was it that made you want to come to the United States? Yeah, something different because I didn't have a job when I came here. Uh, and actually I came for a year or maybe two. I said, I learned the language and go back because I had a very good job in Paris. My parents had a restaurant and uh, most people come to America uh, for economic reason, to get more money, or for political reason, or racial reason, or religious reason. I didn't have any of those reasons. You know, I came here because America was uh, the golden fleece, you know. I wanted to come and see, maybe for a year or two, and that's over 60 years ago, and I'm still here. So, <laughs> but, but it was quite different at that time. I remember going to the supermarket, that my first supermarket, and uh, which was starting here also. And I live on 50th Midtown, New York, between 1st and 2nd Avenue, very nice area. And uh, I thought it was a great idea to have a supermarket so you don't have to go to the fish guy, the vegetable guy, the meat guy, everything under the same roof. However, there was a lot of packaging, packaging, packaging. There was uh, good meat, I mean, great meat, even lobster too. But there was one salad, iceberg. There was no leek, there was no no shallots, there was no oriental vegetable, no great olive oil. So it was really a different different supermarket than it is now. Yeah. Wow. And you so you moved to New York. What was what was the first job that you took when you came to the United States? Well, the day after I, I arrived here, the the, the the guy who sponsored me at the little restaurant, but uh, he didn't really need me at that point. So he took me to the pavilion to see Pierre Frenet was the executive chef there. And the Pavillon was considered maybe the greatest French restaurant in America at that time. And he said, well, you want to start tomorrow? I said, yes. So I started at the Pavillon uh, within two days after I was here, you know, so. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it was great, but I didn't think it was uh, better or, or, or even in pair with what I did in Paris. So it, it was a different way of working too. Uh, it was great to start with because we did one shift 
which was the first time in my life I did one shift. You know, I started two o'clock in the morning, finish at 10 at night, or started nine in the morning, finish at two in the afternoon. All my life, I work from nine in the morning until two, then I have stopped from two to five and start from five to 10 again. You know, in Paris, that's the way it was. So it was great that, that one of the reasons that I could go to, to school, I went back to school and doing all kinds of things that I couldn't have done in France, you know. Yeah. So it was great. It's interesting you talk about the the doubles, right? You work the yeah. morning shift to get yeah. prepped for lunch, prep for dinner at the same time, have your break in the middle, then do dinner service, scrub right. the kitchen from top to bottom, right? do it again. You had what, one day off a week, right? Yeah, I went there a week here, right? And yeah. during that day, usually I work in another restaurant. Uh, in Paris, there is the organization, which I don't understand why we don't have that in New York, which is the Society of the Chef of Paris. So, you know, if you have a member there, you go in the morning, they know you, you have a, you know, they have your resume there. So uh, if people, you're in a restaurant and the guy didn't show up or something, you call the Society and say, I need two guys for the day, I need one. So, you know, I probably work, I worked in Paris about eight years, but I probably work in a hundred restaurants. I mean, I work at the Plaza Atene mostly for like seven years and two, but my day off, I always work in restaurants. So you never know where you would end up. I end up at the Galerie Lafayette, which is like a Macy's, you know, a food to do 3,000 plate, one on top of the other with a slice of lettuce and an egg in between. You know, And the next time you end up in a great restaurant, you know, so uh, it was a great way to learn too, because you have to start working right away so when you get in the morning. So uh, I had a great time in, in Paris, but as I said, the, the world was quite different than uh, than it would be now, you know. So you're you're working in in New York. How does that transition? Like, where, where what's next for you in New York? Like, you're currently working. You have a, a normal shift. You're going to school at as right. well. Yeah. What is the next step for you? Because it's it's interesting when you think about that massive transition coming from France. The workload is very heavy, especially yeah. as a culinarian. You come to the states. It's a maybe a ten hour, twelve hour shift you know, and you can now have a schooling at night or during the day and you yeah. have time. Of course, all kind of thing like that. Then we rent, uh, we had a bunch of friends. We started renting a house in the Catskill. So, I mean, we have our weekend off, we have two days off. So we go to Catskill. I start skiing. I start doing all kind of things that I'd never done in my life, you know. So it was uh, quite a different world and uh you know, very enjoyable. And people at that time were also very, very welcoming, you know. So they would tell you, wow, you come from a great country. I mean, you have so much culture and all that to us. Well, those people are really nice here, you know, and it's true. Uh, people were very, very welcoming. And uh, so uh, I loved it. And I stayed and I became an American citizen. As you can hear from my accent, even though now I live in Connecticut, so it's, my Yankee drawl is a bit strong. But <laughs> <laughs> so, what? What? There's. I mean, Jacques, you have so much history. You have so much culinary history. So many. You've written so many wonderful books. You've worked and spent time with so many wonderful people. I think you know. There's you worked i mean you revitalized and redid the howard johnson's menu and for a lot of folks out there i don't think people know yeah. i grew up with howard johnson's 
being in Newport, Rhode Island, we had a Howard Johnson's right on East Main Road. Um, it's actually still there, Jacques, the, the Howard Johnson. Wow. Still there. I, I was just home. Um, when, when we did the 50th anniversary, I went home and it was still there. How did that, how did you get to Howard Johnson's and, and, you know, you were doing sous vide there. You were doing things there that people don't even realize you were doing. Well, yeah, I work at the pavilion and uh, Mr. Johnson, Howard D. Johnson, who created the company, was a regular at the pavilion. And at that point, there was some problem with Sule, the owner of the pavilion, and Pierre Frédéric was, was uh, just in his early 40s, I believe, but he, he came from France in 1939 for the World Fair with Sule, who he had started when he was like 18 years old. By then, he was the executive chef. He had problem with Sule, and he decided to leave. And Mr. Johnson offered him a job, uh, and, uh, and Pierre wanted me to go with him. So he asked me, and it was a, a different world <clears throat> altogether. You know, I stayed there from 1960 to 1970 for 10 years, and it was a long time. But when I finished, uh, when I left the pavilion, I opened a restaurant on Fifth Avenue called La Potagerie, where I did mass production of soup. Then I opened the World Trade Center with Joe Baum. We served 30,000 people a day. I set up the commissary. Then I was a consultant at the Russian Tea Room. I'm saying... All that to say that I would never have been able, as a French chef, <clears throat> with the training that I had, to do those type of job. Howard Johnson opened another world for me, you know, mass production of soup, chemistry, of food, and all kind of things that I didn't know anything about. So it was a, I learned a great deal. Yeah. And in addition to that, in 1974, I had a very bad uh, car accident. I had the... Uh, I ended up with 10, 12 fractures, broke my back, my two hips, leg, um, and so forth. So I wasn't supposed to, to walk again. And uh, so I still have a dropped foot, you know. So that kind of pushed me in the direction of uh, that type of world, mass production or, or, and writing about food and, uh, and doing all kinds of things. Because as you know, 12 hours a day behind the stove is can be pretty taxing, you know. Yeah. It takes its toll. It does. And so now, now we're right about when I was born. So when your car accident happened, I was two. Oh, okay. <laughs> to, to, put it, to put everybody into, right. into a timeline. Right. It when the first book, what what was that like for you writing your first book? Because I think that's for myself, writing a book was very difficult. I struggled with it. And I, you know, I'm always interested in hearing what everybody else's experience is writing that book. Well, it, I was <clears throat> pushed into that by Helen. Helen McCauley was the full editor of McCall, House Beautiful, and she kind of became my surrogate mother. She was never married, and uh, any kid. And at that time, she was already close to 70. So uh, she told me, oh, no, you got to go back to school. You got to do this. You got to. And uh, she pushed me, you should write a book, write for House Beautiful. So I started writing for House Beautiful. And uh, I don't know, I met someone who said, you want to do a book? with us, and I did uh, A French Chef Cooks at Home, my first book. <clears throat> and after that, I don't know, it kind of mushroom because uh, I ended up starting doing television in the 80s. I think 82 was the first series that I did on uh, on PBS with Jacksonville, actually. And uh, so as soon as you do a series, then there was a book for it. 
uh, and uh, I did 13 series of 26 shows. So each time we had a book because usually you do a series with a theme. So I did like a fast food my way. I wanted to show people uh, how to use the supermarket and a prep cook. As you know, in the kitchen, you know, someone burn out the fish, burn out the chicken, slice the mushroom, chop the shallot. So you're ready at the stove. If you uh, someone order a piece of fish, you grab it, it's there, a bit of wine on top of it. You do the dish in five minutes because the prep is there. So I wanted to show people that buying skinless, boneless, breast of chicken, pre-sliced mushroom at the supermarket, you have a non-stick pan. You can use the supermarket as a prep cook and cook. I used to do on those shows uh, like three or four dishes in 29 minutes. I came with a package of the supermarket just to show them that you could do that. So what I'm saying is that each of the series that I did on television had a theme. Then I had a column in the New York Times for 10 years called The Purposeful Cook, which was to cook for a family of six for the minimal amount of money. So again, here the theme was economy in the kitchen. I even did a book for the Cleveland Clinic for for cardiac patient, weight loss. Well, again, the theme was quite different there. So you put your knowledge of food on a very specific area and so forth. So that's why I have so many books, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to talk about two books in particular, uh, La Technique and La Method, because when you did those, they were, you did something extremely different at the time, which still to this day, I think is a game changer in in the the world of cookbooks was you did step-by-step photography within that book, which allowed people to see the process instead of just reading it. Right. What what was the decision behind that? Because for somebody like myself who struggles with uh, dyslexia, I wasn't able to, to read it and, and process it. So when I saw the books and I saw the practices done by photograph, it, it opened a whole new world for me. Right. So what was that? Was that something that you had thought about thinking that it was going to change the way people looked at cooking or was it a collaborative process? Well, again, it came from Helen McCullough uh, with uh, How Beautiful. She said, what would you like to think you could do you know, for the people? I said, you know, I want to show them how to peel an asparagus properly, but to explain that in words. You know, I talk, I talk, I say, what is he talking about? Can I show it with picture? She said, well, it's an idea. So we did in House Beautiful, little black and white picture about the side of a stamp. <laughs> so you could, you could really <laughs> see much. But uh, I, I did it for, uh, you know, I guess a few months. And at some point I was at Craig Leborn, uh, who was the food editor of uh, the New York Times at that time. I was at his house, he was a good friend of mine. And I met there. Uh, Anne Bramson, who became my editor, and her husband, you know, uh, uh, John uh, McCorney, and he was the, the the he was the president of the New York Times Book Company, and he said, well, "Do you want to do a book with us?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "What?" I said, "What I'm doing those little pictures. I'd like to do bigger picture to show how to do." He said, "Great, go ahead." So he said, "How many pictures?" I said, "Probably like 500." So by the time I start. Uh, doing it, I called him. I said, I think it's going to be like like a thousand. He said, that's fine. Go ahead. Then after a while, I said, I think it's going to be like 1500. He said, okay, that's it, but no more than that. So I did the first volume 
for that technique, it was about 1,500 pictures. And uh, I did a second one, a continuation, and we didn't want to call it La Technique number two, so we called it with a synonym, you know, La Method, and so forth. And that's why I did those two books. And eventually, in the 80s, I did The Art of Cooking, which was uh, probably, probably my best book, which was the same thing, but in color, uh, with a recipe at the end, rather than the other one. Yeah, we did 34,000 pictures in like five years, and we kept uh, we kept uh, we kept 3,000 pictures, 1,500 for each book. I did two volumes, and it's probably uh, maybe my best book, and probably the one who sold the least of any book that I've done. <laughs> so. Which doesn't make sense that it didn't sell that well because it really is technically visually in-depth information. Yeah. That, that yeah, is. People get scared, you know. I went to Long Island to go fishing to get a skate, for example, but I could not, I could only buy a skate wing. And I went to show people how to take the wing out. Okay, so I went there. Uh, I went in my pond here uh, at my house to fish some frog to show them how to take the skin out of the frog and all that too. So people get scared often with this, but in fact, they don't have to do it. They can sell that picture six or seven where everything is clean and you continue with the recipe, you know. I did a whole uh, leg yeah. of veal, you know, like, like a 40 pound to show top round, bottom round, eye round, top knuckle, top seal line, all of the muscle. Then I did a recipe with each of the muscle. But uh, again, maybe people uh, get scared of looking at those big pieces of meat and running out. But uh, I mean, the book is still on now because it was put back with that technique to the complete technique and uh, and it's still on because even though I don't really cook the way I cooked 40, 50 years ago, the way you you sharpen a knife or peel an asparagus or push an egg is the same. So the technique kind of remain uh, to a certain extent, you know? Yeah, the tech the techniques are never gonna go away. Yeah. They're, they're always there and they're the basis of everything for folks to move forward culinarily. Um, and that's why those, in my mind, those books are, uh, I think, timeless. Yeah, but now better now it's television. And uh, even like at the beginning of the pandemic, Claudine told me, why don't you do a little uh, video of like three, four, five minutes to show people what you have left in your refrigerator or stuff. And we've ended up doing 340 of those, you know, in like two, three years or so. And you cannot beat that. I mean, if I show people with a knife how to do a butter, a butter rose, you know, you scrape the knife on top of the, the, the butter to create a rose. If I explain that in word, boy, it would take me page and people say, what is he talking about? But then you, you see the, the video, you stop, you start, you stop, you say, oh, that's it, my knife. You know, it's so much better, <laughs> no question. Yeah. So how do you, this is actually a really great point to ask, like, how do you feel about the change? How do you feel about so much introduction of technology at the same time it has, in my, it has a lot of positives, like you said, the, the videos of people do, but do you feel that it has some negative aspects in our industry as well? Well, I don't really felt the challenge because those challenges were gradual in the last 50 years or so. So you don't feel it. You go all of a sudden, there is more of this, more of that, less of this, and so forth. Yeah, there is plus and there is, 
minus, certainly. I mean, and I say the supermarket, I've never been as beautiful as they are now, but I cannot find chicken bone in the supermarket if I want to do a stock now anymore. You know, and you have strawberry year round, but basically when it's the strawberry time and you go to a farm and get a basket of strawberry there, you see the difference to the one that you get at the supermarket, which are the same year round. So it seems to be plentiful in some way, but in some other way, it's not. Uh, you know, so, and uh, I don't know, people uh, in a sense cook more, in a sense cook less. I mean, I'm sure that uh, the pandemic uh, probably caused a lot of divorce, but it also caused a lot of people to get together and cook together, you know, more than maybe they did before. So you have you have all of this, you know, so it's, uh, it's good in a sense, uh, and in another sense, you know, it's I mean, there is 24,000 restaurants in New York, or was. So the ethnicity that you have in a town like New York or in America is unmatched anywhere in the world, you know. So uh, when I came again in 1960, any great restaurant, so-called a continental restaurant, usually French restaurant, with the menu, usually totally misspelled, and with the uh, <laughs> stuff that they would serve. There was no great Italian restaurant, Chinese, Japanese. That did I, I used to go to Chinatown and all that too, but classy, expensive, no. And now you have extraordinary Korean restaurant, Japanese, Chinese, of course, Italian, Spanish, and so forth. So it has changed a great deal this way too. Yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting because you know there's there's also the introduction, you know, we talk about food television and how it in you were a leader in that you kind of changed the dynamic of the way people looked at food in their home they were more willing to try i i can definitely tell you i've i remember being at friends houses you know myself watching you on tv as a as a young man at home but also seeing you know family or friends families watching the show and trying to write things down uh, right trying to write things down take notes or try to follow um it, it's 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 changed so much i mean there's definitely it's gone from the educational component to the competitive component right so that that that's a big challenge i mean certainly i have been doing show for 35 years but for pbs and PBS is still the place where you try to teach something. I mean, Julia Child was there, Rick Bellis, you know, uh, Martin Yan, uh, Lydia Bastiamish, me. I mean, if you look at those shows, I'm sure people will look at my show and say, that guy is boring. You know, I mean, always teaching, whatever. Yeah, maybe. On the other hand, I try to teach something and on PBS you do. You see other shows on television, it's more a competition, a fighting and all that. Something, you know, which is television, uh, funny things. I mean, uh, so it's totally different. It's not meant to teach. It's something else. But that's what at PBS, I think we still try to teach people something to cook. And some people, uh, as I said, uh, probably find my show boring, but some other like it and, and maybe hopefully learn something from it. You know, so. So how did how did it come to be where you were you were doing your own shows and then then you started collaborating with Julia? How did that happen? Well, no, I I I, I met Julia 
So oh, that was first? Before that. Oh, yes. I oh, I didn't her. realize that. See, I'm learning something new. I met Julia in 1960. I came here in 1959. Six months later, <clears throat> excuse me, through Helen, again, Helen McCauley, uh, with a, a very dear friend of James Beard. So uh, within weeks, months, I met James Beard. And then uh, when the, Helen told me 1960, I believe, she told me, oh, I have a manuscript of a book a woman wrote there. You want to take a look at it? And it was Mastering the Art of French Cooking. And uh, at that time, Julia just came back from France. She spent like two, three years in France. Uh, she had never been the food editor of a magazine. Uh, television did not exist. She had never written a book. So she was unknown, totally unknown. And she said, well, the woman uh, is coming to New York. Do you want to cook for her? I said, sure. She said she's a very tall woman with a terrible voice, but so, okay. So, <laughs> well, Julia. So I met Julia there in 1960, and uh, uh, again we spoke French because French was better than the English. I wasn't here that long, and I had met through Pierre again at the Pavilion Craig Label, who started at the at the New York Times. So within within a year or so that I was, I knew the the Trinity of people of the food world in America, which is Craig LeBon, James Beard, and Julia Child, those three. So you can realize how, how small the food world was at that point, very, very small. It was totally different than now. So I knew Julia forever. So I started teaching at BU over 35 years ago, now 40 years ago. And uh, so when I used to go to, to Boston, you know, Julia lived in Cambridge there. So I called her, we, we had breakfast together, or lunch or dinner too. And eventually we start giving class together at BU. And at some point we did special for PBS called Cooking in Concert uh, in like with, with 500 people in the Thai auditorium at BU doing a big demonstration like that, which PBS used as a special for the summer. That was before the Food Channel Network. So, uh, and then, we started and eventually we did some show together. Yeah. So, but and you were, I, I knew you were for half a century, you know. So, you know, this, what was Mr. Beard like? Because a lot of people don't know. Oh, yeah. No, he was a great guy. <clears throat> First, he was a very good artist. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I am. Um, I think the first time that I went through the front door of their house, because you already go through the back door, it was because he wanted to show me the stand window that he did in the front door. So we went there to look at it with him. So he was a good painter, a good uh, good artist too, and he was so supportive of her. He was great with wine too. He had a great uh, collection of Burgundy wine and so forth. So I remember going to his house with my wife, True. And Julia and I, Julia usually would say, okay, what do you want to cook? I said, I don't know, what did you buy? And and on the other hand, Gloria would go with Paul, either in the cellar to get wine or do a cocktail or talk with him. So so it was a, a good, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed him a lot too. Yeah, he's uh, he's inspired a lot of people. His, yeah. his... So you're now, you're writing you're on television and you're 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 changing the face of the way people are viewing food every day that people are less afraid to try how does that make you feel i don't think that i don't think that uh, 
I am that uh, that important to start I, with them. I, I think I think <laughs> no. you're selling yourself short. I think. How, no, no. how does that feel to know that you have affected so many people yeah. because you're doing what you love? Well, it's pretty amazing for me. I, you know, I don't really. Yeah, I get there of people telling me you changed my life, but I mean, people say that. Uh, I don't really have a television show anymore. I mean, but I have so many of uh, the Facebook and Instagram and on YouTube, which I don't even know why I'm on YouTube. But anyway, of all of those shows that I did years ago, so so I am around, I guess. Uh, I cannot complain at my age. I just had a book published uh, a couple of months ago, uh, a new book. So I've been very lucky this way. Uh, I do more painting now than I have done in years. I mean, I've been painting for uh, over half a century, but uh, up to five, six years ago, I always gave my painting away. If someone likes it, I say, oh, you can have it, sure. Up to my friend who does uh, the filming for the Facebook and all that, I've been working with him for over 40 years. Tom Hopkins is a professional photographer. I did most of my book with him. And about five six years ago, he said, "You know, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do an outside for your for the painting and start selling them." And that's what he did. And now I think I sell more painting than cookbook. I don't know. So, right. You know, you had a whole series of cooking with Claudine. How was that? And I know you're standing right there, Claudine. So I know you can oh. hear. How was that collaboration working? together the two of you because let's be honest working with family is not always the easiest thing in the world right <laughs> and uh you guys had a, a really unique dynamic on the show where it wasn't just a situation of father and daughter it really became teacher father daughter it was a lot of things going on but it really made people want to cook with their family and i think that that was really important Yes, I think you. I agree entirely with you there. The point is that uh, after I did three series uh, at, at KQED, the PBS station in San Francisco, I think Claudine came to do a couple of shows with me. I invited her and, uh, and I liked it. And the point is that uh, people don't realize this, they thought that she knew all about cooking. No, she didn't know. Like, uh, you know, if your father is an architect, it's not like uh, you know about this. It's your father, period, you know. So uh, she came home, ate the food that I did, but was never really interested in knowing how it was done or what, what it was or whatever. So uh, I wanted her to come on stage to be the, the Vox Populi, that is to be the person that would ask questions that people would want to ask if they could. How come you do that this way? Or why do you do this? Or this or that? And people often, they thought that she was playing again, but she wasn't because very often I try not to tell her the recipe we were doing. So uh, I start doing the recipe. She said, oh, that's how you do that. So she was, and uh, uh, so it was fun. We, we, we had a good time. It was very natural. It was fun, and uh, uh, we ended up doing uh, two series of twenty-six show together, or three series of twenty-six show. Yes, so so that was uh, that was great, and it's always good to cook with someone you love and uh, to be together, you know, in the kitchen and to argue, of course. And then he dropped me for an older woman. Yes, that's right. after after the shows he did with me. That's when he started with Julia. 
<laughs> so yeah, then, yeah. so that you 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 do cooking with Claudine, and then right. you're cooking with Julia, right. and then you get to cook with your granddaughter. Yes, and Claudine too. I mean, we did some show together. It was fun. I mean, for us, the kitchen has always been uh, a common denominator in the, in the way. I mean, when Claudine was uh, a couple of years old, a year old, I hold her in my arm and I hear her stir the pot, you know, so she would, quote, eat it because she made it with her father. Well, she, So with my granddaughter, it was the same way too. You know, I, she had a stool next to me at the store. I said, give me the salad. You think that salad is clean? Let's look at it too. And I said, I need parsley. Let's go get parsley in the in the in the garden. So I said, that parsley, test it, that child, test no, that's tarragon. Okay, test that one. Then I take her to the market with me. I said, okay, I need pear. I need the tomato or pear. Make sure they are ripe. Did you smell them? You think those pear are ripe? So you know, she touched the food, handle it, come back, help me. And that established, you know, a communication. And then we sit down and share the food and talk about so it had always been part of a part of our life you know to be and now she's in the i was with her last week because i was teaching at boston university last week and she's in the second year at bu now so uh, so that's great and uh not that she's not going to go into cooking no of course not but uh, <laughs> but you never know yeah you never know right yeah. you never know what's going to happen she might meet the right chef. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I, it, it's funny because when when I to laugh when when I first met Tatiana, my wife, Mark Miller always would tell her never date the cooks. So <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> they're more. She would say they're more trouble than they're worth. Don't date the cooks. Yeah, but, but, you know, it it worked out on my end. So. <laughs> so talk, let's talk about the 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 like what are you seeing right now in the world i mean you've been traveling you've been cooking doing amazing events with people all over you know you and i have stood on top of aspen mountain i don't know how many years we've oh, done yeah. so many I, times we've done that together i did it 32 years you know, uh, Aspen. So that was that was great. I mean, you meet all your friends once a year. You go to bar, you drink, you cook. You, yeah, that was a, a terrific thing. You know, I really enjoy that. Yeah. And and now you know, I just saw recently that you were doing a charity event just the other day, where you were working with students. Yes, I well, we do a fair amount of that. Yes, in in one place or another, and I've, often in conjunction with the with the foundation, because the foundation, you know, we try to teach people who have been a bit disenfranchised with life. I mean, people who come out of jail, you know, former drug addict, you know, or homeless people. Because yes, as uh, Rory was saying, you know, uh, I think I can train someone in six weeks how to peel onion and and uh, and wash uh, wash salad and peel the onion and uh, uh, portion eggs or whatever. And after six weeks. You know, if that person likes the kitchen, maybe five years later, they are the chef, you know, he or she is the chef and you can redo your life, you know, it make you proud of yourself, uh, make some money. So that that's a good thing to do. And I think it's possible. So that's, that's what we try to do with the foundation a great deal. 
And in that con context also, I gave classes. Yes, the other day, I think I did in a town here for uh, children who have uh, some disability, uh, uh, you know, autistic chicken or uh, ch children or whatever. And uh, so it's always fun. I mean, you know, the food do bring people together, you know. Uh, they are next to you, you start cooking a little bit, you make them test it too, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they are your friend, yeah. Food is a very powerful medium, and I feel that it, I, I like to say that food breaks all boundaries, whether it's religion, politics, family uh, foods. It, absolutely. It makes, makes people stop and, and sit and talk, whether they want to or not. It, it really changes that moment. Yeah, there is no political application in what we do. And, uh, you know, when you put people around the table, even if they don't agree, and especially now in our type of uh, polarization, uh, usually if you have uh, good food and you have wine and people enjoy it, uh, even if uh, they disagree, they disagree in a much nicer way. <laughs> I mean, usually uh, uh, than, uh, you know, killing or yelling at one another. Uh, it's true that, uh, I mean, I remember it had already been this way in the, what, uh, 1824, I believe it was Louis XVIII in France, the King of France, uh, the, for the Congress, the Congress of Vienna, and he had uh, a great chef, uh, Carême, at that point, uh, was going to go there and work, and he, he, he told uh, the uh, the advisor, he said, I'm going to give you more advisor for that. He said, no, 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 I need more cook. I need more cook. And that was the idea, you know, of to go somewhere and to bring people together around the table and to talk about things, you know, and uh, we, I don't think we do enough of that now, you know. I like, that's why I like the term convivial. Food is very convivial. Yes. Yes. And, you know, uh, food... Uh, Around the table, everyone is the same. You know, you may be next to the uh, the congressman on one side, and the other side, the guy is the dishwasher at the next hotel. You know, and it's all right around the table. Uh, you know, everyone is the same. It's true. That's very true. So, what is your new book that you just that you just released? Let's talk about your new book. Well, it's called Cooking My Way, and again, it was the same thing that I did. Uh, for the New York Times all of those years ago. It was uh, economy in the kitchen. And also here, I have a lot of my painting and drawing in there, so it was fun to do. And uh, But cooking economically, I've done that all my life, but there I, I made a point of following the season and uh, and trying to, to really show people what to do with leftover bread or with whatever. You know, I have a recipe leftover bread. Uh, I cut it into pieces and put uh, uh, you know a bit of milk on top of it. Let it soak to so I can crush it a little bit. Some chopped onion, a bit of garlic, some herb, and I put an egg in it, and then big tablespoon of that in a skillet with oil. I do pancake, you know, leftover pancake of bread to serve with sour cream, whatever, and it's very good. Uh, yes, you know the the word leftover has a bad connotation very often because people often try it if they, they roast a chicken and it's very good. Well, the day after they want to reheat the chicken in the same way as a roast chicken. And of course it tastes reheated. But if you do a, a chicken pot pie with it and take the meat off and do a cream sauce, then you have another dish totally different, which may be better than the first dish. You know, so it's a way of using leftover. Yeah. 
I think that's we've we're definitely now, which I think this is so important because we're in a world of so many people need to be fed. And there's so much waste from what everybody makes every day, right? I think there's definitely a disconnect between if you have a radish, what do you do with the greens? I like to make pesto or saute them. What do people do with leek tops? Most people don't know how to use such things that we would use every day. It's teaching them, making the most out of the least, right? Yes, it's it's good. I mean, sometimes people exaggerate. I mean, people say, oh my God, you throw out the banana peel. I say, yes, I don't use the banana peel. Yeah. <laughs> so so the, there is things that, yeah, you cannot exaggerate that use everything, but uh, usually usually things are uh, usable, you know, whatever, especially in the vegetable and leftover meat and so forth. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> yeah. So Jacques, I know you have the rest of your day that you have to take care of, but I, I want to do a little uh, quick fire questions. Yes. Okay. okay. No wrong answers. Okay. So uh, you ready? Well, yeah, go ahead. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Yeah. Express or a drip? Drip. Oh, depend. Both. Depend the time of the day. Pancakes or waffles? I'm sorry. Pancakes or waffles? Waffle. Yeah. Oatmeal, yogurt. Oatmeal. Bacon or sausage? Both. Chicken, duck? Uh, both, too. Depend. Depend what to do with it. Beef or pork? Uh, probably pork now. I change. Quail or squab? Uh, squab, if I can get it, yeah. Hot dog, hamburger? Both together. Together. <laughs> Ketchup or mustard? Again, both. You know, depend depend whether it's the hot dog or the hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> Which mustard, Dijon or whole grain? Uh, usually Dijon. Yeah. Taco or a burrito? Ooh, both also depending. Who made it? <laughs> Depending on who made it, I like that. Pasta or noodles? Well, pasta probably. Ravioli or dumplings? Ravioli probably. Raw oysters or raw clams? Ooh, both. But now I move toward the clam more, which I didn't know in France when I came. I like oyster more. I still like both, but. No, I like the clam very much. Me too. I grew. I love. I grew up on them. Lobster or crab? Probably crab. The taste. Any favorite crab? Dungeness crab, of course, if I can afford it, or even the blue crab, the little blue crab that we get here. Uh, you know, it's it's great. A lot of work, but it's great. A lot of work. That's why most people <laughs> like to go back to Dungeness. <laughs> Sea urchin or caviar? Ooh, both are caviar, you know. So uh, uh, both are eggs and uh, I like both. Yeah. Okay. Now, meatballs or sausage? Probably the sausage, if it's the right sausage. Favorite pizza style? Well, just uh, uh, 
what do you call it? The, the the plain one with with extra tomato and and olive oil on top and cheese. Uh, yeah, whatever. Not the, not the big thick one. You want no, you want a, no. you want a New York style, right? Red wine or white wine? Well, start with white and continue with red. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> light beer or dark beer? Oh, light beer. Yeah. I'm not a great, great connoisseur of beer, so I stay with light beer. Uh, white spirits or dark spirits? Again, depending, probably dark spirit, more into uh, bourbon. Okay. Champagne, Prosecco, caviar, uh, Cava, or Lambrusco? Oh, no, Champagne. Yeah. Okay. I mean, champagne is... Uh, is an area of France, you know, so where they do sparkling wine. There is a lot of places in France where they do sparkling wine too, but they don't, they cannot call it champagne. You yeah. Know. So, ice cream, soft serve, or gelato? Uh, softer, yeah. Gelatin, soft gelatin, yeah. yeah. So, a sugar yeah. cone or the styrofoam cone? Uh, the styrofoam cone, probably. Yeah. Chocolate or fruit? Ooh, both. I mean, uh, fruit covered with chocolate. Honey or maple syrup? Honey. Yeah. Favorite candy? Favorite candy, the free one, whatever they bring me. <laughs> I have a whole bunch in front of me there. A fruit, fruit paste, pâte de fruit, the fruit paste that Claudine brought me, and they're really good. Oh, pâte de fruit are always delicious. Yeah. What is your guilty pleasure? I don't have any guilt about anything that I like to eat or drink. Uh, I have no guilt about it. I, I enjoy it, and that's fine. Yeah, so. That's perfect. So, folks, if you want to see Jacques' videos, they are on Tuesdays, correct? You do new videos every Tuesday? No, not on really. We, they... we, uh, we do the, 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 the video like on Facebook, you mean? Uh Instagram. The Instagram. It, oh, oh. It depends. It, it, dep it depends. Yeah. There are I... new ones. There's stuff all the time. It's always changing. No, because Facebook is every day. Well, it depends, but I didn't oh. post yesterday because I forgot. Oh, she forgot to post yesterday. I never know what's on there. I do those, I do those videos. But they are edited and they go to Claudine and she choose whatever she choose, whatever day. So uh any requests, Chris? <laughs> yeah. For, oh man. For for a video, you know. Yeah. Oh man, I gotta think. You know what would be really good is for people to see how to cook leeks. Oh yeah. Papa, you know you haven't done that. Uh no, no, I was going to do leak vinaigrette yet, but that's uh, my favorite. That's my all-time yeah, favorite. But, but I use leek a lot. There is no soup that I do without leek anyway. That's so, true. so folks, make sure you check out the Jacques Pepin Foundation. You can donate. You can also look at Jacques' artwork. You can definitely be checking those those pieces out. They're beautiful. I have a I have a a chicken in my house. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> yes. Um, but Jacques. Thank you very much for your time. I really can't say thank you enough. I know. Well, thank you for having me. You know, I thought that Claudine was going to be here. Well, yeah, but you haven't said anything. I was listening to you. I was enraptured. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure.
Disney <laughs> where she lies. Amazing. Thank yeah. you so much, Chris, for having us. I appreciate it. <laughs>